0: I'm going to show a, a, just a short little 3D graphic of the external part of the, the temple, and then we'll, there's another video uh, on my phone um, uh, that I will show that re, uh, shows the uh, the internal aspects of this. In Psalm 132, three through five, we're going to look at a couple things here with respect to fulfilling David's dream. And Solomon. Uh, Is taking the materials that his father David, the plans that his father David had uh, for the temple, and now he is executing them uh, in the way that is pleasing both to his uh, late father and ultimately to the Lord who gave the plans. In Psalm 132, verse 3, Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. This is David's plea. Uh, and this is david 's heart. he says listen i want i don't want God to be no longer in a tent or a canvas tabernacle. I believe uh, he needs a permanent place and so uh david's heart was that in psalm twenty seven four going back to psalm twenty seven four Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David was passionate to be in the temple, obviously he would not see it in his time frame, and the Lord made it clear in Second Samuel 7 that David was busy fighting, expanding and defending the borders. Uh, he didn't have time to supervise such a complex and a demanding project, uh, such as the building of the temple, which would take Solomon seven years, and we'll talk about that a little bit further. We spoke about uh, some of that before we were on holidays. And so since the days of Moses, God had appeared to his people, and the sacrifices had occurred in the tabernacle. It was a fragile, portable building, and uh, the time had come for Israel to build a permanent place. The nations around them had temples to their false gods, and so it was only right that God's people would dedicate a magnificent temple to honor the Jehovah of all. And so in the second month of our April or May of the year 966, the fourth year of Solomon's reign, uh, he begins this work, and there's seven stages of this project. So let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time. And um, we'll uh, look further at this. And the principle really is we need to build a place that is worthy of God's grandeur. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, I pray for your help as uh, we, as your temple, uh, Solomon's temple, was uh, is going to be spoken about. And Father, we know that ultimately you're not contained within temples made with hands. But Lord, you sure do like to assemble and commune with your people in a centralized location. and Father, we fulfill that today through local New Testament churches, but Father, I pray that we would get a heart to appreciate what you did in the temple, and the mastery, and the artisanship and father that all that you do is orderly and it's magnificent. And so Lord Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for your grace. I thank you for the opportunity we have as a church to be able to do some upgrades. I pray for wisdom there. And so father, as this day goes forward, I pray that you be glorified in Jesus precious name I pray. Amen. Securing the materials just a little bit of review. We had spoken about that last time that David uh, had secured a, a vast number of materials. Um, he had also spoken with King Hiram there of Tyre, and um, and then Solomon also had it, uh, where he was able to get additional materials uh, there, the cedar of Lebanon and such. He conscripted workers, he began to build the temple, and then there was a building of the temple, and as we're going to see up on the screen up here, uh, you'll see on the right hand side the brazen altar, and uh, the furnishing of the temple were important to the priests for without... Uh, the divinely ordained furniture; they couldn't do their ministry to please the Lord. So, in Second Chronicles chapter four, verse one, as we look at here, uh, in regards to several of the items that are contained within uh, the temple, Second Chronicles chapter four, verse one, and it tells us about the altar of brass or the brazen altar, and so. I'll play this uh, short little clip for you, and uh, I'll describe several of these items that are up here. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 4, verse 1, moreover, uh, he made an altar of brass, 20 cubits the length thereof, and 20 cubits the breadth thereof, and 10 cubits the height thereof. So it gives us uh, the size of this. And so, uh, you know, as you approach the temple from the east, you came to the inner court, uh, courtyard of the priest, and so here's the inner courtyard of the priest, it's obviously not the Holy of Holies, uh, but on the right toward the north stood the altar of brass, and so you'd see that uh, here, and uh, 30 feet square and 15 feet high, where the fire would keep burning, where they'd have the steps over here, and then going up, that's there on the on your right side, and uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 64, speaks a little bit more about this, 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, verse sixty four. We'll look at verse chapter nine as well. First Kings chapter eight verse sixty four. The same day did the king hallow the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the brazen altar that was before the Lord was too little to receive the burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. And so there's and then uh, verse chapter nine verse twenty five talking about the frequency upon this altar. Uh, and three times in a year did Solomon offer burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar, uh, which he built unto the Lord. And he burned uh, incense upon the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished the house. So it's three times a year that they're really uh, executing this. Now, the height of the altar, it suggests, obviously, that there are, with it being ten cubits, that there are stairs to it, And, and hence in the depiction of the 3D there, you see on the right, there's some stairs leading up to that quite large... Uh, Altar, and uh, Ezekiel chapter forty three would give some idea on this of the stairs. Ezekiel forty three verse thirteen, and these are the measures of the altar after the cubits. The cubit uh, is a cubit and a handbreadth. Even the bottom shall be a cubit, and the breadth a cubit, and the border thereof by the edge thereof round about shall be a span. And this shall be the higher place of the altar. And from the bottom upon the ground, even to the lower settle, shall be two cubits, and the breadth one cubit from the lesser settle. Uh, even to the, the greater settle shall be four cubits and the breadth thereof. And it goes on and it talks about all these cubits and the heights. And so it's letting us know that there are uh, steps leading up to this. I mean, it's, uh, as it said, what, upwards of 25 feet. Some uh, may believe that it was upwards of 15 feet high, uh, but shorter than that and stood on a base that raised it higher. Whatever the case, it is a tall thing. And uh, the tabernacle altar was only four and a half feet high. Whereas this is upwards of 15 feet high. Uh, there's the, the laver, the molten sea. Uh, stood the huge molten sea. They replaced the small laver in the tabernacle court, uh, made of brass and hand breadth. And so you would see that there uh, on the, the left side uh, of this stood the huge molten sea, uh, round, made of brass, hand breadth, thick, with the image of lilies around the rim, and hold over 17 gallons of water. And uh, it stood on the backs of 12 cast statues of oxen in groups of three, uh, as you'll see there as well on the left, uh, for the laver. And uh, 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 17, And King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases, and removed the laver from off them, took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it, and put it upon a pavement of stone. So there has to be obviously some system for removing all of that water. I mean, a large sum of volume of water can be upon this. Uh, let me uh, just play this short video for you uh, on this. And uh, you can kind of get an idea for the outer court of the temple. Again, there's a little higher look at the brazen altar. and Pretty cool 3D computer graphics. Three... All right. All right. So there you go. Get an idea. <laughs> uh, when we think about this, if the priests didn't keep their hands and feet clean as they minister in the temple, uh, they were in danger of death. Look with me at Exodus chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, 30, verse 20. Excuse me. Exodus 30, verse 20. And so when they're coming into the Lord's house, God is absolutely. Uh, holy, and uh, he's very particular. He wants the priests that are coming in not only a uh, clean, clean hands on a physical level, but he wants them clean hands in a spiritual level. Verse 20 of Exodus chapter 30. Now this is speaking about the tabernacle. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire, unto the lord. So again, God is saying, "Listen that they die not." You know that's a kind of a revealing thing in our lives that when we're coming to give the praises to God, God wants us to have clean hands and a clean heart. When you think about water for drinking and that they would have here and a water for washing, it's a picture of the word of God. And John chapter 7 uh, verses 37 to 39, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink he that believeth on me. As the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they believe on him, should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. You think about Psalm one nineteen nine. wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? by taking heed thereto according to thy word. John 15, 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Again, over and over and over again, uh, he would speak about cleansing. And even in the, as he's talking about husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, uh, he says uh, that he might cleanse, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He's also talking about uh, the local church here. And so as you think about this uh, aspects of washing, God is wanting purity. And these priests would labor, and if they became defiled, uh, they needed to be cleansed. We all have a sinful nature, and they needed to realize that. They needed to maintain that closeness with God, uh, wherein they would see the sin of their own hearts uh, and be able to deal with it. This is a very, very uh, important and and sacred thing that they're doing. So when we become defiled, uh, we need the washing of the water of the word. And then there's ten stands in the labors. You find those. Five on the left hand, see those uh, there on the left over there, those uh, carts, the lavers, uh, the ten stands. Second Chronicles chapter 4, verse 6, I can go back there a little bit. You can kind of... You can kind of see them. There you go. The little stands there, five a piece. Uh, Beautifully designed, decorated metal wagons. uh, Six feet square, four and a half feet high with uh, handles at each corner. Uh, They were capable of holding. uh, Each stand could hold a basin that could hold 230 gallons of water. When you think about uh, a gallon of water is about eight pounds, and then you have 230 uh, gallons, you're you're reaching about a ton, a ton of of weight uh, just in water. The stands were kept in the court of the priest right next to the sanctuary, five on one side, on the north side, and five on the south side. So we can kind of see the north and the south there. And um, and then obviously the front and the back would be the east and the west. They could easily be moved from place to place, used for washing, preparing for sacrifices, and perhaps for the general cleanliness of the temple. The dirty water could be wheeled away uh, and disposed of in a proper place. These very practical and useful stands were also very beautiful, as you can look at. Uh, we can do that again. It's just, uh, uh, I like looking at this. They're kind of amazing. But 230 gallons of water, I mean, that's just incredible. There you go. Uh, beautiful. And it teaches us about the beauty and the holiness of God. You think about Exodus 28:2. I'm just going to read several verses for you. Uh, that deal with God's holiness in reference to beauty. Exodus twenty-eight two, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. Psalm twenty-nine two, Give to the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And it would say that in uh, others, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Psalm ninety-six nine of Psalms, uh, honor majesty before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. And then Psalm 110.3, and the beauties of holiness. So uh, then you come, you have the golden incense altar uh, made of cedar with gold. Uh, no dimensions given to this. And it stood before the veil, separated between the holy place. So let me uh, pull up the inner sanctuary. I'll show you this. So Here's coming inside the temple. Uh, you have all the candlesticks. You have all the wrought gold. The altar of incense there. I mean, can you imagine if we were able to watch, uh, there's the table of showbread. You may have, maybe you've seen something like this before, but it's still pretty fascinating. And in, in, in the look at the temple. Just uh, what is there. Just a little bit more on this. We have showed. Anyway, so there you go for that. But I I just found it pretty interesting. Let me, oops. That's not it. (laughs) Let me uh, put the altar of incense there in view. Okay, made of cedar, covered with gold, and uh, we have no dimensions given in the text of 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 20. We'll go there. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 20. I mean, it took them seven years, and now you're thinking I understand why it took him seven years, just because of the absolute opulence uh, and the the exquisite uh, craftsmanship of this place. Exodus, uh, Second Kings, excuse me, Second Kings, chapter six, verse twenty. And It came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, in, uh, said "Lord, open the eyes of the men that they may see." In the lo-. First Kings, sorry, not Second Kings, First Kings. I'm like that doesn't make sense. 1 Kings 6, verse 20. Apologize. And the oracles in the forepart was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar, which was of cedar. And it stood before the veil that stands between the holy place and the holy of holies, which I don't have a picture there inside the holy of holies, uh, where the priests would burn incense each morning and evening. Uh, the burning of incense really is a picture of our prayers rising up to the Lord. God, notice the place, I mean, before, if you think about all of this, from how the temple is set up to what God requires in our spiritual life, there are, uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, it it's plays out exactly how we are to approach the Lord. So before I even come into the temple, the holy place, God says, "I want you to give, I want you to deal with your sin and I want you to have surrender. So he has that that brazen altar, and you have the, the place for the cleansing and the washing before you ever enter into the holy place of God's presence. So before I'm acceptable to God, he wants me to deal with sin. He wants, obviously, salvation, but he also wants us to deal with sin, the sin offering. But he also, there's a cleansing for a restoration of relationship. Then I come into the holy place. And this is where I'm opportunity to rise, to give up my prayers as an incense to God. It all is in line with how we are to approach God of how the temple was laid out. So in Psalm 141, verse 2, as we think about this, I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. Oftentimes we can think of it just as some architecture, but it is God telling us how we are to approach him. You know, the whole thing of this is that God wants us to be holy. In Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer set be, be set forth before thee as incense. and Lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. So again, here we have the very thing that is needed. Uh, you would have in the Holy of Holies, you would have the Ark of the Covenant, upon the Ark of the Covenant, it's the two cherubims, you have the, the mercy seat on top of it where they pour the blood. You couldn't even, come. you know, God's very presence required the shedding of blood. That mercy seat stands upon the Ark of the Covenant. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? It's the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, um, and so in this, it's, you know, that the mercy of God is above and shedding and, and covering the law. Isn't that amazing? You think about this. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And you would also, in Luke chapter 1, talking about Zacharias, John the Baptist's dad. uh, According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, as Zacharias would do. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So Moses gives a recipe for the mixture of spices that are used here in the temple worship. Uh, And it wasn't to be counterfeited. It wasn't to be used for any other purpose. And I want to show you what mixture of spices are in there. Exodus chapter 30, uh, verse 34. Isn't it incredible how specific our God is? We don't have to wonder what it is that pleases him. Uh, he's not fickle, uh, he's not up and down with his emotions like you and I may be, but he is stable and uh, he is consistent. In Exodus chapter 30, uh, verse 34, and the Lord said unto Moses, take unto these sweet spices stacked in onica and Galbanum, these sweet spices with pure fragrance, frankincense, excuse me, and each shall, be th- shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, uh, tempered together, pure and holy, and thou shalt beat some of it, very small, and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee, it shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. So he's giving specifically to the Israelites... What is needed to make a sweet incense? I was just reading this morning in my devotions in Psalms and uh, several other places. But as you think about this, in Psalms, it was pretty interesting. I think it was Psalm 50. uh, And there's a difference when he's talking about the wicked. He talks about himself as God. When he talks about the righteous, or the upright, or, or David's talking, he talks about him as the Lord. There's a personal name of Lord, but as God, the wicked don't know him as Lord. They don't know him as the, the I am that I am. They just, there's the great creator, the almighty one, and they need to submit to him first before they get to know him personally. And so in this whole aspect, and and it even talked about in Psalm 50 in my devotions, that they're, they're talking about the statutes of the Lord. They're talking about those things. And he's like, why are you doing this when you disregard everything that I'm saying? And God's saying, I don't want any of it. I mean, he's saying, I don't want your burnt, you know, in Hebrews it talks about that as well. I don't want your burnt offerings, I don't want your sacrifices, because you don't know me. You can't enter into the holy place because you haven't started in the first place with a sin offering and put your faith in me. The golden altar was used for no other purpose, uh, and on the it was, uh, you know, it was there for the incense, and it was used on the annual day of atonement. They would apply the blood to the altar to cleanse and purify it. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 10. Without clean hands and a pure heart, we cannot approach the Lord and expect Him to hear and answer our prayer. Look with me at Psalm 24, 3-5. through five. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't go into the, the very closest presence of God uh, if you're sin in your heart. So in, in Psalm uh, 24. I mean, this is how specific God is and how adamant He is that we are holy. Because this temple is displaying to us that God wants us to be close to Him. It's, it comes around the sacrifice, the sin offering, the blood atonement, thereupon the, uh, the mercy seat to cover it, uh, the mercy seat or the blood to cover the incense, uh, to purify it. Again, there's a purification, there's a holiness, there's a, a beauty of His holiness. Everything that God is doing here is demonstrating to us in our Christian life how we are to be in order to be close to Him. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the bless- blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Let's look with me at Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. And from here we'll go to Hebrews 10. Psalm sixty six eighteen. 18. As we look at this here in 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and as we're, some of the video that you see up there, I mean, can you imagine the amount of work to have to keep the smudges off all the gold in the temple? <laughs> I mean, that's a tremendous amount. You have to go all the way up. You got to clean it. You got to get all the smudges off. You got to get all the dust off. You got to keep the bugs out of it. I mean, it's a lot, a lot of work. But they're all doing it in order to continue to give praises to God because that temple was a, a wonder of the world. And we can lose the sight and just keep it just as a place of a temple for mere religious purposes, and lose the meaning behind the temple in psalm sixty six eighteen If I regard iniquity in the heart in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There is no part of the process, and as we as you've heard many of you, that if a priest went in once a year and he had sin on his heart. He would have a rope tied around and he would go into the holy of holies and he would be smitten dead. Because you cannot enter into the holiness of God, the very presence of God, being filthy of heart. God is that specific. You must deal with sin. And If we want to give glory to God, it involves the praises from a pure heart. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What do they have outside the temple, right? The washing. And let us hold, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise, and let us consider one another uh, to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So again, here is God wanting worship of his people. He talks about the washing, he talks about the sprinkling of the blood for the purity of his people, and as we have the local church today. You have the golden lampstands and the table of showbread, and the, tab- the tabernacle that Moses constructed, there was only one table for the loaves of bread, but the temple had ten golden tables, five in a line on each side of the, of the pl- holy place, and uh, the tabernacle had one golden lampstand with seven lamps on it. Uh, the, te- the temple would have ten golden lampstands in the holy place, five along the north, wall and five on the south wall, and they would provide the light that was needed for the, the ministry, for the priests there in the holy place. You would have several miscellaneous tools uh, in First Kings uh, chapter 6, going back there. Verse, uh, chapter 7, excuse me, verses 40 through 50. And Hiram made the labors and the shovels and the basins. So Hiram made an end of doing all the work that he made King Solomon for the house of the Lord. The two pillars and the two bowls of the chapiters that were on the top of the two pillars and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the chapiters which were upon the top of the pillars. And 400 pomegranates for the two networks, even two rows of pomegranates for one network to cover the bowls of the chapiters that were upon the pillars. And the ten bases, and ten labors on the bases, and one sea, and twelve oxen under the sea, and the pots, and the shovels, and the basins, and all these vessels which Hiram made to King Solomon for the house of the Lord were of bright brass. In the plain of Jordan did the king cast them in the clay ground between Succoth and Zarthan, and Solomon left all the vessels unweighed, because they were exceeding many, neither was the weight of the brass found out. And Solomon made all the vessels that pertain into the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, and the table of gold, whereupon the showbread was, and the candlesticks of pure gold, five on the right side and five on the left, between the, before the oracle, with the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of gold, and the bowls and the snuffers and the basins and the spoons and the censers of pure gold and the... Hinges of gold, both for the doors of the inner house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the house to wit of the temple. Incredible. Everything that was made. It was an imposing structure, extensive furnishings that were made by Hiram. Now, Hiram is not the king of Tyre. It's a, it's a gentleman that is a, a master, master craftsman. Uh, you have the pots for cooking, for the meat, for the peace offering, shovels for removing the ashes, bowls for sprinkling water and sacrificial blood, uh, dishes, ladles, large pots, etc., etc. But, you know, if you were to think about the cost, that's why when, uh, when this temple was destroyed and the Babylonians came in and pillaged it, I mean, you have tremendous wealth. I mean, if you were to start pulling off the gold of the walls and even the lampstands and all the gold that's upon this place, it is, you know, I would imagine billions of dollars. You know, and then all of the manpower to create this and craft it and the materials. I mean, it is beyond comprehension the value of this place. And yet all this beauty was destroyed and this wealth was confiscated in the Babylonian army's capture of Jerusalem. There in the year 586 B.C., it was destroyed by the Babylonians the first time. In Jeremiah 52, it recounts for us, some of the destruction of the temple, if you'd like to look at it there, it's Jeremiah fifty-two, verses ten and eleven. And the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he, excuse me, he slew also all the princes of Judah in Riblah. Then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in chains and carried him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. Verse seventeen. And the pillars of brass that were in the house of the Lord, and the bases and the brazen sea that was in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans brake and carried all the brass of them to Babylon. The cauldrons also, and the shovels, and the snuffers, and the bowls, and the spoons, and all the vessels of the brass wherewith they ministered took they away. And it goes on, and the basins, and the firepans, and the bowls, and the cauldrons, and the candlesticks, and the spoons, and the cups, that which was of gold in gold, and that which was of silver in silver, took the captain of the guard away. The two pillars, one sea and twelve basin bowls that were under the bases which King Solomon had made in the house of the Lord, the brass of all these vessels without weight. They pillaged. Can you imagine the heartbreak? If you're a genuine believer during this time, there was very few genuine believers, but to have the genuine believers as they see the place where God promised to dwell with people. God promised for His presence. He'd removed His presence because of sin. and Now you see this place just absolutely desecrated and demolished. I mean, here they they would go in and they would rob all of the gold. They could go into the Holy of Holies and everywhere because God's presence had left them because of sin. They didn't deal with their sin. The congregation was impure. They were idolatrous. And God says, okay. And this would begin the times of the Gentiles, as we would know from Daniel chapter 9. But Nebuchadnezzar robs the temple, deports the captives in stages, and eventually burn the city and the temple. So they couldn't get their hands of that. They couldn't get their hands on all of the gold. I mean, it is beyond compare. Solomon, the man who would construct this temple, was the man who married a multitude of foreign wives, encouraged idolatry in Israel, and the very sin that would turn away the nation from God and bring upon them a fiery judgment of God. You go back to Saul, and Saul left God's glory because he decided that he wasn't going to kill all the Amalekites. You have David. Who would have multiple wives, and the multiple wives would create problems. David was still a womanizer. He was a man after God's own heart, but he still had multiple wives, created problems. David had some multiple wives. Solomon had many multiple wives. And so the small sins that I have in the next generation, it's multiplied. And it would multiply on down through the centuries. And there were a few godly kings there in the line of Judah. Now, uh, in in the northern kingdoms, there was no godly king. But all of this would spell disaster and the removal of God's glory, the removal of God's presence, the removal of God's protection and strength upon them because what God had established was not followed through from the heart. They followed through mechanically, but it wasn't followed through from the heart. They didn't deal with this going back to, I'll just show it to you again, I know it's a little bit redundant, but I I, want to... As you think about this, again, before you're ever entering into this temple, you're washing, you're sacrificing, you're getting right with God, before you're ever as a priest or a Levite able to go into the holy place. You have the candles there, candlesticks, for the illumination of that place, you have the incense altar of incense. And God does a great thing. And we've got to be careful as we deal with the glory, the grandeur, and the presence of God. That we are pure. Because a failure to do that may very well result in God's removal of his presence and great captivity and great pain. And so, as we just think about this, Solomon fulfilled David's dream. But it was a dream that only lasted for so long before it was removed. because of a failure to continue to realize of God's holiness and our need to be holy before him. Let's go over and ask for his blessing. We'll be dismissed for the Sunday school hour, and then we'll commence at the 11 o'clock time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you, Lord, just for the images you gave so we can see kind of an idea of the temple. Father, it's a beautiful thing uh, to be a child of yours. Lord, as the Israelites would take for granted the temple that they were given. God, all the wealth, the friendships, the diplomacy of those in neighboring places that would give to build a temple to your glory, and Lord, yet it became just a symbol of religion. And Father, I pray... That that would not happen to our hearts, Lord, just a complacency. The church would not just be something that I'm supposed to do. But Lord, it would be a place where we realize we're coming into your very presence. God, I pray that I would come with clean hands, pure heart. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of Scripture that all points to the fact that, Lord, you are pure, you're holy. And I'm thankful, Lord, for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which allows us access into the very your very presence. Lord, not on any merit of our own, but all because of thee. I'm thankful for that. And, Lord, as we come into the morning hour, Lord, I pray that we would do honor and glory into thy precious name. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless.